You're listening to episode 167 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Well, Phil's been shipped out, and uh, Kale is MIA. So is Phil a pirate now? Is he out? Yes. He's out, you know, liberating people or whatever pirates That's do? exactly what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he's living the pirate life. He has a nice bottle of rum. Did he get a face tattoo ho ho uh, not yet. From the my last uh message in a bottle he sent, uh, apparently not yet. But he's so getting I, there. How have you been getting these messages? Are you just going down to the the docks and just fishing them out, or? Yeah, there's like there's a little there's a little river over here in Queens. Oh, okay. uh, like it kind of just like flows in. Wow. All right. Yeah, doesn't smell great, but. <laughs> and and Kale's dead. Was that was that the thing, or is he well, just MIA? We he, don't know. He, he's MIA. He's missing. He's somewhere okay. in Europe. There. <laughs> Reminds me of that, uh, you know, the famous cover of all the mutants missing and everything. It's like, oh, we don't know where Kale is. Mm, we'll see. Oh, well. I <laughs> I thought we were going to go with the whole, he's been conscripted to go fight in the war. Oh, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid World War Three jokes. It's too real right now. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, we got I mean, there. We got there. <laughs> once they send in Phil, though, it's a wrap. It's over. <laughs> So is Phil Doctor Manhattan then? He's our he's the nuclear deterrent. Yeah. So how long until Iran is the fifty first state then, Sean? I mean, listen, no country wants a Phil. So once they deploy him, it's anything to get him away. <laughs> he's a chemical deterrent. <laughs> Please sanction us. <laughs> sanction me with your army. <laughs> So, Happy New Year, guys. We are in 2020. I hope that 2020 brings you guys a lot of joy, although it hasn't quite started that way. Uh, Starting off to be a banner fucking year. (laughs) Four days in, we're on the verge of world war. So, it's going well. It's going well. Success in your personal lives and a lot of really good comics, which is why we're all here, right? Uh, Why else would we want to be on this earth and avoiding war if it's not to continue to get the high quality books that we saw in 2019. Uh, I want to let you guys know where it is that you can get us all over the internet. We are the Comics Pals. If you type that into your search engine, we are guaranteed to come up and you can find everything that you're looking for related to us there. Uh, more specifically, we are at the Comics Pals wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. And, of course, if you are watching this video on YouTube, thank you very much. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you are made aware whenever any of our content uh, drops. And, of course, hit the notification bell to increase your awareness of that content. Notification. There you go. Uh, Check out our book clubs. We've got plenty of book clubs out there. That's just we we pick a book and we, uh, we, we read it and we, you know, break down our thoughts on it for you guys. A deeper analysis than you might otherwise find on those. And uh, whenever we release new ones, we let you know what they're going to be so that you can read along with us. Yep. Tomorrow, uh, upon this episode dropping, we'll be releasing uh, the... or we'll be announcing the book for this month, which is Spider-Man Life Story. So definitely go check that out. Pick it up. Uh, uh, That was a really great episode. Yeah, I had a lot of fun doing it. I hosted that one. And uh, I thought it came together pretty well. It was a book I was really looking forward to reading, too. So... Hope you check it out. <clears throat> it's all out now. You go grab the volume, read along. See, first read. It's only like six issues. 
So I want to start 2020 with the way that I think the rest of the year should look. That's I think that's how you're supposed to go about a new year, right? Is try to start with your best intentions, and you know when you fall off, well, you know it happened. But you talk to Donald Trump. Well, uh, enough about him. <laughs> I want to focus on the positive, and what I want to start with is actually some listener mail. Which hopefully, hey starting the, the the year with some listener mail, we can continue this trend and get a lot of this from you guys throughout 2020. Last week, we shouted out Will, who we referenced as being one of our biggest fans who had listened to uh, an absurd amount of our episodes. I think every episode we put out probably yeah. with how many minutes he's listening to. I think it was like 155 listens over yeah. the past year. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, he heard our call, he reached out, and we got mail from him. So thank you for that, and I'm going to turn it over to Pete to read what Will had to say. Hello. Hey, pals. This is Will writing in to say thanks for the shout-out. I'm a big fan of the show. You guys have been my number one source for comic book media news ever since I started listening to you. I love the format of your show as well as the humor, the book clubs, interviews, and nuanced discussions about the medium. This may be a beast of an email, so I'll add my additional feedback first and other rambling or whatever other ramblings come to mind afterwards. I would love to hear you guys do a creator spotlight segment, com- comic writers to be specific. I'm obsessed with writers. As an aspiring writer myself, I love hearing about process, story structure, character development, and the trajectory of professional writing careers. Listening to the Brian Edward Hill interview blew my mind. I love how candid he was about writing successes and failures. I'd love to hear you guys take someone like Brian Hill or Ed Brubaker and discuss their career as a whole and the impact on the industry they have had or they have made. I'm a big fan of Kill or Be Killed, by the way. I would love a book club on that. Shout outs to that. Uh, When you guys discussed Tom King's exit from Batman, I found that discussion super fascinating because you brought up Bendis and kind of where the level of Tom King's clout as a writer lies from your perspective. I would also love to hear you guys talk about accessibility into the comics industry for writers and traditional publishing. I think what Ahoy Comics is doing with the open submission for short stories is great. I'm waiting to hear back from them myself. Good luck. Oh, nice. The Watchmen HBO series left me in awe of the quality of storytelling told in just nine episodes. My favorite TV series is The Wire. Yes. Leftovers is up there, too. So to see Lindelof and his writers, along with the amazing cast, do what they did was amazing. Uh, you pretty much – oh, you guys pretty much said everything I was thinking. That's pretty much all I have to say. Thanks again for the great content. I've, o- I've only been reading comics for the past three years. I'll leave you with a list of some of my favorites. The Dark Knight Returns, a ba- a slash Batman Year One by Frank Miller, The Sculptor by Scott McCloud, Mr. Miracle by Tom King, Sandman Volume 1 and 4 by Neil Gaiman, Killer Be Killed, uh, slash Criminal Volume 1 by Ed Brubaker, New Avengers Illuminati by Brian Michael Bendis, and Watchmen by Alan Moore. Some good picks there. Excellent yeah. picks. Uh, so thanks again for writing in William Watchmen and Sandman vibes yo buddy Swamp Thing go into it dive into that that beast son yeah the more run would probably speak to your sensibilities if that's stuff that you like I am really interested in the fact that you've only been reading comics for three years yeah uh, and you've got I mean based on this list anyway it seems like you have really Good taste. Uh, I like I like a lot of this, um, and I think you know. Speaking to your comment about uh, interviews with creators, that is something that I really uh, am fascinated by is the process and how writers break in and, and things like that. 
And so in the Brian Edward Hill interview, it was certainly important for us to get that kind of stuff out of him. We try to do that anytime that we get a writer on the podcast. And certainly you can expect more of that going forward. Uh, I would say I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of our other ones, but it seems like you've done that. So I encourage anyone else who feels similarly to Will here to go back and listen to some of our older episodes where we do have interviews with writers and, you know, we get try to get some of that uh, out of them as well. Um, and, uh, and if you're an aspiring writer, uh, creator in general, The Sculptor is a great book. Uh, right or Wrong from a writing perspective and like yeah. a, a business perspective, excellent by friend of the show, Dirk Manning. Um, definitely go check that out. And I think this year he's dropped in like a new edition. Right or Wrong 2. Yes, right or wrong that's right. Two. I think it's. Uh, I think it's yeah. next year. I think it's, it next, ne- year? it's next year. I think the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter. This Got year. it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, either way, one to keep an eye out for. Yeah, and definitely. It's, it's a good and very affordable book. Um, and you called out Scott McCloud in there. Uh, Understanding Comics is another great one. Um, there's a lot of good resources out there if you want to learn more about the craft. And I would also give a shout out to um, uh, Comic Jam which Marco oh, has worked with. And we actually didn't interview, but it ended up getting lost, unfortunately. But um, they're like a great independent group of people that like you get together, you get matched with a team of like, uh, if you're a writer, you get matched with an artist and a letter and all those people. And you can work on a short story and everything. Marco had one published. Um, great way to like get in there and cut your teeth and try to, you know, like just study the craft and learn more from people who are doing it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, that's it, the it, best way to learn how to do anything. Just do it. Put it out there. You know, exactly. And it's a weekly thing, so if, if anyone anyone out there is interested, uh, reach out to me, or you can reach out to the Comic Jam directly. They're a great group of people, great community, uh, really fun on Discord, and all they want to do is produce art, and that's all we want. Absolutely. Uh, and then, just to cap off with your comments on Watchmen, uh, obviously we agree. You know, we loved it, and uh, there is more content coming surrounding the show. Uh, we're going to be doing a sort of Watchmen overview where we discuss the show and the book and uh, Doomsday Clock all in all in one and kind of cap our thoughts for now on each of those. So stay tuned for that as well. That should be out in a couple weeks. Uh, so yeah. Oh, yeah. just one more thing too, William, is like, obviously we know you listen to us a lot on SoundCloud. If you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, we have a ton of interviews over there with writers that are not. Uh, from the podcast stuff whenever we go to like New York Comic Con or any of that stuff I'm sure you've heard us plug that stuff but if you haven't checked it out there's a ton of good ones and Sean particularly has a few really really good ones up there um, that are I think worth checking out you always get good good meat out of people with those kinds of questions um, and uh, my the one I did with Jerry Conway is another good one too if you want to learn about the craft yeah yes absolutely so again thank you for writing in we appreciate it and we encourage anyone who wants to share their thoughts with us uh, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily as, you know, uh, verbose as Will was here. But if you want to share something, your thoughts about anything we talk about, uh, it's much appreciated. So uh, thank you. And uh, again, great way to start off 2020. So uh, why don't we do some pals pulls? The first pals pulls of the year. I don't know about you guys, but everything I do when it's a new year is like the first. The first know, of the year. Yeah. It's a momentous occasion. <laughs> I've been tracking the first everything of the year uh, by noting it in my mind, but then I instantly forget. So I don't remember the first anything I did all year. <laughs> four, four days deep, but, you know. Uh, 
So we'll start with Marco. You chose the clock number one. The clock. So the clock is an image book. Well, image top cow book. Uh, it's Matt Hawkins, who I really love as a writer. He's a really great uh, cerebral writer. He he tries to really educate you in his stories. Um, I think especially with books like The Tithe, uh, books like Think Tank, where specifically on the title it says, "This warning: This book will make you smarter." Um, and I, I was interested because this actually has artist Colleen Duran, who I know. Um, uh, from interactions on a something fan page, uh, the, uh, the Parliament of Trees. She she was an artist on the on the book, and so she's uh, she's sometimes active on the on that page. And really nice person, and really great artist. Uh, she's also done stuff with Warren Ellis, Orbiter, uh, and she's done her own stuff on webtoons as well with really cool. really great great stuff. Well, that's awesome. Then I mean, it sounds like this is a big opportunity for her. Yeah, yeah, she's she's been in the industry for a while, and uh, she's always always a solid solid uh, artist. I love how many connections we've made with people where they're just like they love Swamp Thing randomly. Yeah, dude, it's the <laughs> it's the wildest thing. Swamp Thing brings people together. Does it? The green, the green man to Parliament. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's really cool. Matt Hawkins is a is a very good writer. Um, mm-hmm. And also very smart when it comes to the industry and whatnot. So yeah. if you're looking to, if you again, if you're looking to learn more about the industry, I think listening to some of his interviews uh, is definitely something you might want to do. Mm-hmm. Or just talking to him. If if you get a chance to talk to him uh, at any convention, he will be more than happy to give you his time uh, and pick his brain. Yeah. In general, it. that's a thing you should probably try to do. Yeah. Is go to conventions and talk to creators because. They're more often than not, they're pretty forthcoming and very kind, at least in our experience. You also chose Daphne Byrne number one. So this is another Joe Hill book. Y'all know I'm a good, uh, I'm a good hard boy. And this actually has Kelly Jones on it, who I, I personally love. He's, he's a really great Gothic horse uh, artist. I love his style. Um, he, most recently he did, uh, he worked with Len Wein on his last book uh, on Swamp Thing and, I think that's the last I've seen from him, uh, but to see him come into like a, a full-on horror genre, uh, I'm I'm excited for that. I, I'm I'm not familiar with Laura Marks, who is the writer, um, but Michelle Madsen is on uh, this book as well, who I believe is going to be inking Kelly. Uh, I, I think he just does his pencils now, and Michelle does the either the colors or the uh, the inks, and they're a very dynamic team. So is this this is one of the Hill House books then? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. How many of those have come out? Uh, I want to say like six. Wow, already? Damn. I think so, yeah. Nice. It's a lot. What's the quality been like on those if you've read any? Um uh, uh what was the one I read? Uh I've read two. Um one of the one of the straight up hill books, uh, and then uh, uh I'm forgetting the other one. Uh, I have it somewhere in, in this pile over here. Uh, but <laughs> it's been it's been solid. Like it's all like <laughs> just you know, really good horror stuff. Uh, awesome. it's it's mostly issue ones. So setups usually, yeah. But I think where where they where I feel the story can go, there's a lot of potential. Cool. As for me, I chose uh, Excalibur number five. Excalibur for me has come a long way. I really wasn't the biggest fan of the book when it started. I I you know just wasn't really sure what Teeny Howard was going for, and um, some of the the magic stuff was was bugging me, but. The book has shifted gears just a little bit, and 
um, has gotten we've got I've gotten to get more what she's putting down for these characters and what the goals are so that's been fun uh, and then of course when they went into um, Otherworld and Shogo turns into a dragon and all that cool stuff like there's just she's really flexing her Some wacky shit <laughs> yeah she's flexing her creative muscles and it's been a lot of fun to watch so I've been enjoying this book quite a bit and uh, it's, it also looks really good too. Uh, Marcus Toe, I believe, has been on art for this book. So very, very, very worth picking up if you're still on the X Men train, which you should be. Yeah, that's one that I fell off of after our our review. I think of like the second one or whatever. Um, but I really do want to pick it back up when whenever you talk about it. I'm like, yeah, that art was so good. Like, yeah, that stood out to me about that first issue. Even though like I was lukewarm on the the setup of the premise, like. I think that that might be my favorite book art-wise of the the new run of X stuff. It's like yeah, that one that one shot of uh, of Betsy like when they when she that full page was just like holy shit that is amazing just cool yeah it's just good work mm-hmm. and uh, we're gonna be reviewing some X Men books a little later uh, we're gonna be talking X Men four and Marauders five. So stay tuned for that. This is the X Men pals now. <laughs> Might as well be. I'm down Spin for the podcast. Show? <laughs> uh, so let's jump into the news. Todd Phillips, the director, of course, of Joker, the very, very, very successful Joker, the most successful comic book film of all time. Uh, for on the Hangover, yeah, because that was like it's the ratio, right? For how little they spent versus how much it made back. It like yes, oh really? Out of the fucking, yep. yeah. Oh, it made like a billion dollars, and they spent like nothing on it compared to almost any oh, other snap. similar blockbuster movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Lo-fi. Yeah, yep. It was insanely profitable. That's neato. So his clout has increased a ton since he you know made this super successful film and so of course everyone wants to talk about sequels and you know we've we've been there and heard his thoughts about what a joker sequel needs to be and whether or not it's even going to happen but most recently he made some interesting comments uh at uh variety's creative impact in directing award he received that award um uh and spoke to variety at the International Film Festival, and he talked about the potential of a Batman film set in this Joker world. So he said the following, it's a beautiful Gotham. What I would like to see is someone tackle, uh, what I would like to see someone tackle is what Batman looks like from that Gotham. I'm not saying I'm going to do that. What was interesting to me about the inclusion of Batman in our movie was what kind of Batman does that Gotham make? That's all I meant by that. So, of course, Batman doesn't actually appear in the movie. Um, but, but you know, no spoilers, I guess. Uh, if you still you know haven't seen Joker for some reason. But I understand exactly what he's saying where, you know, this Gotham is different than the Gotham that we're used to. What type of Batman does this Gotham create? And so I thought that that was a really interesting question of do we even care to see something like that? What does that look like? If Todd Phillips isn't directing it, does it need to be made? All those kind of questions. 
So my initial reaction to that is I'm more interested in that than the idea of a Joker 2. Yes, I would um, agree with that. I don't think that there's really anything else you can do that would like, and you know, if you haven't heard our review, I was not a big fan of the film, but I think that I don't see where else there is to go with that character that isn't pushing him down a more traditional, like now he's a big supervillain route, you know, um, like you can't replicate what that movie wanted to do about exploring the psychology of him as a normal man and what made him into the Joker, right? Or into a monster, whatever you want to say. Um, so I, I think if they are going to pursue some kind of a sequel, I definitely think that's a better direction to go. Cause you could still bring back Joaquin. You can still use the groundwork that was done there. Um, but he'll have a foil and you'll have a new character to focus on. And I think that, like, a movie that wants to explore the psychology of that world's Batman in the same way with Joaquin as the foil, that sounds like a better pitch to me than, okay, cool, the Joker's a crime lord now and we're going to still try to explore his psychology, you know? Because I think then you're just retreading old ground. And yeah. there's not much more that I think you can say that will be new. Um, and that's always bad. That's the exact... That's the worst kind of sequel, you know, is just a retreading of what we've already done. And it feels lesser every time. So that being said, though, I don't know that I'm super interested in that because I didn't really connect with the first movie that much. And maybe having a Batman as a foil would be helpful, but I don't really think that that's what was the problem for me. The focus on the Joker wasn't the issue. It was more I just the execution of it didn't really speak to me. Um, so the idea of like, do we want another Todd Phillips like movie like this? Like, I don't really want another one. Um, I I'd be open to seeing it cause you know, I appreciate that this film at least tried to do something different and tried to, you know, explore new ground in the very saturated superhero market. So I'm all for that. Um, and obviously it connected with a lot of people, um, Sean and Phil included. So, you know, um, open to it, I guess, but certainly not something I'm looking for. Hmm. I uh, I agree. I agree that if you know if uh, there's not enough material there for a sequel, I think that would be a disservice to to this movie. Um, because I I definitely think, insofar as you you're retreading ground, you're also kind of diluting the character at that point, and I think that was probably the biggest thing of that movie. Um, and to, to what, to what Philip said, he, uh, he, he called Gotham like a, a, be a beautiful, like, what was it? He said, uh, it was a beautiful, place. It was a it was like a beautiful place, something like that. And, and that specifically I, I agreed with, I, I definitely liked the, the world. I felt like Gotham was lived in, was grimy, was dirty in, in all yeah. the great ways that we really know it. And I mean, in all honesty, uh, I could see a, a movie where they, they can, your point pete where they bring back you know todd phillips where they bring back uh joaquin phoenix and maybe even like especially off that comment where he, he comments off of gotham uh i could see like a, a serious house on a serious earth kind of thing you know where they explore batman in that way because it's very much sort of the angle that they try to they try to approach the joker with it's like much more psychological emotional and i can i can really see the that kind of gotham and that kind of like asylum 
in uh, being brought to life, especially with influences um, from from that that book. It would be cool to see the the relationship between Batman and Joker too, considering that this Joker has a relationship at least in his mind to Thomas Wayne. Yeah. So that whole relationship already has heat going into it. And that could be cool too. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a few thoughts. Uh, I think that what Todd Phillips is saying about the, why it might be interesting to watch a Batman movie set in this world uh, makes a lot of sense. So mm-hmm. in the in the comics, Batman is inspired to be Batman by the death of his parents, of course. But I think if if his parents had died in a car accident, you know, he probably doesn't become Batman. He becomes Batman because of crime, right? Yeah. So and trauma. This world is awful. You know, this Gotham is it's crime ridden. It's screwed up. And the Joker personifies that. So in the comics, there is no individual person who really is the trigger point for Batman needing to exist. So in this world, Joker can be that. And it actually strengthens in a different way, in a unique way, the bond between these two characters. Because now you're actually flipping the script. Now Joker inspired Batman. Instead of... Sort of the other way around. Uh, so I like that as turning that dynamic on its head. And I'd be really intrigued to see that. I don't think that the the Batman that, that exists in this world has to be markedly different from the one that we're used to. Because the same things are happening to inspire his existence. The only real big difference is that the movie implies that Thomas Wayne is not the best dude. So if those parts of the movie that sort of say that are accurate then what type of man does bruce become Uh, i will say that was a a theme in uh telltale's batman the telltale games batman series where that that kind of like comes up where bruce has to grapple with the fact that maybe his parents weren't what he thought they were oh interesting Um, and i think that's a really cool theme because it's different you know because it is always that oh he was this upstanding they were upstanding pillars of the community and they got killed by some thug in the alleyway or whatever right like that's that's bruce's general understanding of it so like having him have that as his worldview and then have the joker throw that in his face that it's not true yeah there's heat there for sure yeah and that's actually something that has been explored a lot already in the comics um but what I'm referring to, not to die, not to take away from that, what I'm referring yeah. to is the idea that they're just bad people. Mm. Like, and Bruce doesn't know them some other way. That they just are have always been like this. He's aware of what they're like. How does that change? Oh, I see what is? you mean. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, so That's, yeah, that I have not seen explored, and that changes things. Um, but finally, as far as whether Todd Phillips needs to necessarily direct that, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't think I, that depends on whether he has something to say about Batman, and I don't get the feeling that he does. And that's fine. Yeah, it kind of um, feels like he's like, oh, it would be cool if, right? And then does this Gotham, you know, is it as effective to show this this world? Can you get 
the 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 vibe of what this world was supposed to be like if the movie's not rated R. I think you probably can. Um, but with the Robert Pattinson Gotham movie on the way, I don't see a need for this or room for it. Yeah, definitely, definitely that. I don't think that there's there's an outright need. Um, but I think the the option to explore uh, to me is tantalizing. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So, uh, do you guys? Just last question on this: Do you think this will happen? Do you think we will get? Do you think we'll get a Batman movie set in this world? I think we're. Ah. Get, I think we're getting a Joker two because pockets got fat. Yeah, there has to be some kind of a sequel, whether it's this or a Joker two. Like, I, I don't think there's any way that the executives at DC see the returns on this and don't push for more, you know? Um, and whether that, and that, that's the question though, right? Is like, is, is their idea of more a Joker two? Is it a Batman slash Joker movie in this universe? Is it the Lex Luthor movie that they're pushing? Like who knows? Um, so I, will we see it? Ah, maybe it feel like, I feel like their, their moves are so random. It's like kind of hard to predict. Yeah. Yeah, unless they they finally learn the lesson to leave a creator be, and hopefully the the Robert Pattinson movie becomes you know more of an of an auteur film that that gives them the similar return. That would be great. Yeah, yeah, if the the takeaway here was oh we should let them have more creative control and not worry about building a universe and whatever because we don't have a Kevin Feige type like just let people make their own movies and let them be good on their own like. I mean, it worked for Wonder Woman to an extent, and you know, I I think you could easily find that same success with Batman. Batman is the most valuable IP that they have, and probably one of the like what three or four most valuable IP in the world. Um, it's not hard to make a compelling piece of Batman media. It really isn't. He's a great character. He has a great rogues gallery. All you need to do is let somebody creative with vision make something good and get out of its fucking way. And, like, it feels like they have a lot of the right pieces in place for this movie. So I hope that's the takeaway, is that the Batman movie that we're already building towards is just better, you know? Remains to be seen. Fingers crossed, man. What doesn't remain to be seen is what Mark Millar's next project is. So most recently, Mark Millar stealth dropped another volume of American Jesus. Which is pretty cool. Uh, I think he was calling it like the New Testament. Um, <laughs> That's cool. Nice. Uh, <laughs> well played. <laughs> so now he's actually come out and announced that he's writing the third chapter of the Jupiter's Legacy saga. Which oh. is be called Jupiter's Requiem. That's very cool. Has anyone read that? Uh, I read no. um, the, the first one. I never got around to the second one, though. Is that uh, Circle? I think Circle's the second one, right? Oh. Uh, Jupiter's Circle's the second one, I believe. Yeah. Oh, okay. Which is the first? Jupiter Ascending or something like that? Okay. It's been a long time. I read him in college. Mm. So it's uh, it's Jupiter's Legacy is the first one, okay. I want to say. Either way, the third entry in is Jupiter's Saga. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's a uh, you know it's it's like a it's another one of those kind of like more adult edgy superhero kind of stories you know 
and it's like all about like the the second volume is all about their kids, right? So it's the first one is Jupiter's Legacy, the second one is Jupiter's Circle. I'm pretty confident. Okay, that's the way it goes. And then now we're getting Jupiter's Requiem, and the second one is uh, about the 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 six or like original members of the Union, whatever that is. This is big news in part because it's I mean it's a Mark Millar book, right? So sure. that's already on its face a big deal. Uh, it's the follow up to a book that has been very successful for Image. Um, so that's and, a big deal. So go ahead. And, and and they have movie stuff in right. That's the third prong of why this is such a big deal. Actually, oh, okay. thank you, Marco. Uh, the the this is going to be a Netflix yeah uh, television show. What? Yeah, yeah. I mean the whole Malar World deal, you know. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah. shit. I, I man, I hope Seven to Eternity comes out. Oh <laughs> my god, dude. Right? I didn't know you were on that. Yeah, I oh, love that. Dude. <gasps> Have we not talked about this? Wait, no, we sorry, haven't. we're getting we're getting off topic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I I have to imagine that any of his books are on the like on the docket. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you gotta imagine eventually they're gonna do an adaptation of every fucking thing he's ever done, <laughs> which is amazing for him. Uh, yeah, so, please. And and by the way, Stephen S. Knight is the showrunner on Jupiter's Legacy. If you were a fan of Daredevil, he has he was a, a major part of Daredevil. So you have my attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's a very positive sign. And actually, this is inspiring me to to kind of go back and read this the Jupiter yeah. saga. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like this is maybe maybe a response to to like the boys or something. In, in oh in this yeah, sense, you know, fucking a man. Like that was a huge success for Amazon. Like mm-hmm. Netflix has got to be itching to get their own version of that, well, especially with all the 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 Marvel stuff leaving. You know, they got to fill that void. Yeah. Well, uh, Jupiter's Legacy wrapped filming already, so this is this is oh. this was already yeah cool. This so it's actually closer than we. I, I was thinking it was like further away. That's awesome. Give me that release date, baby. Later this year. That's all we know so far. Oh yeah. shit, that's cool. We should do. You know what would be cool? We should do a trilogy of book clubs. You know, like do the do the whole thing. That'd be cool. I will do research. That would be cool. Set it up. Make it happen, Marco. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. I, I remember liking it when I read it. You know, I was like nineteen though, so it was like a really long time ago. <laughs> but uh, I remember, like, you know. I remember thinking it was cool and it felt very fresh at the time to me. So, you know, I know that that's kind of like a bit more explored now with stuff like The Boys and, you know, even Kick-Ass, which is another one of his. Like, there's a lot of stories of, like, this kind of thing. But I always like, you know, a, t- a different kind of take on superheroes. So, fingers crossed it uh, comes out. Mark Millar is a writer who I was obsessed with for a few years and frankly haven't thought about a ton in you know five or so years so he's had like a renaissance i feel in the past in the past like five years yeah uh i think i think he's definitely put out books that people have been interested in that have caught my eye more recently but nothing that has lit a fire under me 
the way that a lot of his like earlier work did. So I, I'm, but I'm ready. I'm ready to be surprised again, and I'm ready to be excited again by his stuff. So this is a cool announcement and one that's going to make me go back and see what else he's done that I might have missed out on. I always wanted to uh, finish that book. We read a, a, at least the first issue on the show. The Magic Circle, was it? Or Order? Magic Order is yeah. awesome. That book was cool. Like, I really liked that whole world and and the vibe it was going for. Like, that was something I always wanted to go back and grab the trade of once it was wrapped. Because the whole, like, mobster meets Harry Potter thing, I'm like, yeah, all right. That's pretty fucking cool. It's different, you know? Yeah, it, it got crazy. That, that book, uh, well worth anyone's time. The Magic Order, for sure. And then they're they're working on an adaption for that, too, no? Oh, yeah. It's got to be around the corner. So, check it out. I think that's going to be a movie. Um, also, right, yeah. allegedly a movie, is The New Mutants. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> they're they're going to do the, un, the original cut, right, is the thing? Uh, so, the... New Mutants is allegedly going to come out. Uh, it has a release date of April 3rd. I'm amazed it's not April 1st. And <laughs> <laughs> That was such a subtle dig. <laughs> I, I feel like that, that, that release date is going to get swapped uh, back by two. But it is not going to include any of the reshoots <laughs> that they did. That's curious. So, originally, right? Originally, when they did do those reshoots, they wanted to make it more of a horror movie. And the reshoots were to get them where they needed to be on that front. So, they did it. And then, you know, nothing materialized. It's been two and a half years. We had release date on top of release date that came and went. Uh, we heard about reshoots. They came and went. And now Disney appears to feel that the original movie was good. That the original movie was, was good the way it was. And so uh, Josh Boone, who was the director of the film, uh, recently shared that we're getting a new trailer, allegedly. Uh, and... He says, Josh Boone basically answers a, a simple fan question. Will this be the OG version of the movie you shot? And Josh Boone said, I wouldn't be promoting it here if it wasn't. So, of course, it's his movie. He's probably contractually obligated to talk about it. But if he's replying that way, it gives me the impression that he's actually motivated. That he's excited by this fact. And if that's the case, if this movie comes out, it might actually be good. Maybe. Would Disney bother dropping this film if it sucked? Uh, I think they might. It, I. It's interesting because, like, you have to think about, like, how much money was spent on it, you know? And, like, if they have a complete movie, like, even if it sucks, people will probably go see it. You know, like, look at, like, a movie like, you know, like, like Batman v Superman. The or Dark or, World. Yeah, like any of that crap. Like people still show up and see it and and it makes some money. So it's like looking at it from, you know, and this is 
I'm not a business person. I don't know how this stuff works, but like I'm thinking of it from the perspective of, okay, so they buy Fox. The sunk cost is already sunk. They have a complete film that the director stands by. Why not put it out and see how it does? Like, even if it sucks, like the money's already been spent. The movie's finished, you know, like they don't have to spend any more resources to finish it or really do anything but promote it. And like, how much do they even really need to promote it? We all know the movie's happening. They put out one more trailer and then it comes out. And if it sucks, it sucks, but it probably makes a modest profit. And if it's good, great, it's good. And then they can decide if they want to try to salvage it at some capacity, like the way that they're like moving forward with Deadpool 3 at, at Disney. You know, or like, oh, cool, this made money and resonated with people, we'll make a sequel, whatever. Yeah, exactly. D- Disney Disney bought Fox, said, oh, we have a movie here. A.O. Marks, raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, right? That's it. <laughs> Fucking A. And that's the thing, right? Like, motherfuckers like us are going to go and a lot of other people will go probably out of morbid curiosity because they think it's going to be bad. So yeah. And, and yeah. hopefully they're pleasantly surprised. That's the hope, right? Like, like I, I, that's, that's like the base hope for Disney is hopefully it's good enough. Uh, either way we're making money. Yeah. The thing is it doesn't even really matter. Cause like almost every movie like this that comes out, there's some contingency of people that defend it and argue that it's good and go to see it and pay for it and whatever. So like, why the fuck not at this point? Right? Like, the thing's been in development hell forever. It's a finished movie. You have two versions of it. You might as well make some kind of a return on it. Watch Phil like this movie. <laughs> I would not be surprised. I just think it's so strange that the first, you know, Disney property that we're seeing uh, that is an X-Men movie is a holdover from Fox. I understand that this is not going to be you know, related in continuity to whatever it is that Disney decides to do with the X-Men ultimately, but it's still a little odd that there's not going to be this, you know, extended, I don't know if breather period is the right phrase, but time off and that the, and that they wouldn't want to control the first time we see the X-Men released under their banner. I wonder if their thought process isn't that that break will still be there anyway. Because, like, you look at the, the, the plans we know exist for uh, phases four and five, and, like, there's no, no X-Men right now. So if they stick to that, that's, what, like, another five or six years before we'd have an X-Men movie? Nah. Uh, we know the plans for phase four. We don't know the plans for phase five. Oh, except for Blade we, we know, know is in Blade. phase five, right? Yeah, yeah. we know Blade. Okay. So, so I guess the, it could come then. Yeah, but. It's, it's wide open, and I th- I think it it would be really shocking if there was not an X Men film in on the docket slate. for that time period, which would put us realistically in twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three. So that's not a long layover. Yeah, that's all. not that long. Hmm. It, and and this is confirmed not in MCU continuity. Yes. Uh I mean, no one has come out and said, to my knowledge, that is not. But I think it's a f- very fair bet that it isn't. Yeah, probably. I mean, I mean, they could always try and backdoor it in later if they like it, but probably not. Interesting. Yeah. Well, what are those implications? Like, if it if it is, I don't. That's know. crazy, dude. I, you know what's so fun about that is that I never thought about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Is about the fact of them trying to like roll it in later or. 
Uh, the no, the idea that this could be continuity at oh, all. Oh, sure, sure, sure. You know, I'm very interested to see how they handle that with Deadpool. Like, yeah, because you gotta imagine that they're going to like make jokes about it in the movie and stuff, and like, what does that mean? Like, I don't know. There's also there's also the the chance that they double down on the whole we have acknowledged that there's a multiverse thing because they did that in Spider-Man and they're kind of doubling down on it on Disney plus with the what if show. So like, it's very clear that in the world of the MCU, the MCU is one of many Marvel universes that we know exist. Well, even deeper than that, Dr. Strange's next movie is called the multiverse. Oh yeah. Fuck. I forgot. And they're going to tackle that shit head on. Right. So yeah, I mean, fucking a man, like maybe that's a way to do it. You know, like if it's good and they're like, Hey, you know what? Screw it. We like this cast. We, you know, we have something here. We have something with Deadpool. We'll roll them in. And and that has horror elements to it. No. Uh, yeah, it does. Uh, so, you know, we're actually about to talk about WandaVision, uh, which is directly related to this film, right. uh, the Doctor Strange film. Uh, the Doctor Strange film has horror elements. It's not a horror movie. This isn't like their take on you know horror, their definitive take. Um, but it does include Scarlet Witch in it. And with what we have, are learning about WandaVision... Uh, We'll just we'll just we're just gonna jump into it and meld these conversations because they go together. Uh, so we we learned that Wandavision is actually not coming out in 2021. It, that's when it was originally supposed to release. Uh, now it's going to release in 2020. We, we learned that in a little uh, sizzle reel uh, for what's coming to Disney Plus in 2020. It included Wandavision. I am so happy about that. I didn't want to wait until 2021 for what is going to be probably my favorite show to come out of Disney Plus. Go ahead, so Pete. Where, where on the timeline then is uh, Falcon Winter Soldier? Oh, that's still 2020 as well. So there's wow, damn, that's cool. They're yeah. getting aggressive. Content, <laughs> content. Uh, so just a couple of of, of notes. WandaVision, we don't know the the season that it'll release in. We know Falcon and Winter Soldier was said to release in the fall. We'll see if that stays that way. Doctor Strange 2, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, is uh, coming out May 7th, 2021. And we also know that WandaVision will include, for some reason, Kat Dennings playing Darcy again. And oh. Randall Park playing Jimmy Woo again. Hmm. Uh, I wonder if Winter Soldier Falcon gets pushed up and WandaVision takes the fall slot. Or maybe it comes out in winter. But I feel like having them that close together seems weird. Yeah, they compete with each other. It en- yeah. It encourages, like people, people be- it encourages people to keep their subscription, which has been a problem with The Mandalorian. Yeah, I know like a lot of people canceled their subscription once Mando dropped off, which yeah. makes sense. I mean, that's, you know, whatever. Um. Yeah, I, I guess I, I see your point in terms of it encouraging people to keep going and you could maybe jump from one show right into the next one and like keep the conversation going. But I wonder if that might lead to like a saturation issue. Whereas like if it comes out in the summer, you know, Falcon Winter Soldier comes out in the summer and then they're like, oh, and 
in the fall, like, you know, like a month or two from now, like this is coming out. So even if there's like a lapse, it's a short lapse. I don't know. Yeah. Um, oh, and then we also know that Monica Rambeau will be in WandaVision as well. So very strange group of characters. Uh, and I want to address the multiverse idea that we were just discussing and how that relates to WandaVision and the Doctor Strange film. So, Doctor, Strange in, Doctor Strange's inclusion of Scarlet Witch makes me feel, in conjunction with WandaVision, and I've said this before, that Scarlet Witch is losing it. And she is warping reality around her. In the comics, she creates her kids. She creates um, uh, Wiccan, and she creates, uh, oh god, what are their names? Uh, Wiccan and Speed. Uh, She creates them. And there's reason to believe, because of a video that was just, uh, a video clip that was just unearthed by Daniel RPK, uh... (laughs) that those kids are going to be in this show uh it's an audition clip of an of a kid who's 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 acting and uh his character is named tim and uh the the description is that he uh basically is you know crapping on his brother and making fun of him and things like that now in the comics Tommy, um, Tommy Shepard is Speed's name. So Tim could be short for Tommy. And it's referenced in the audition clip that their uncle is sleeping on the couch. Now, who is their uncle? Yeah. How could he be back? She's, yeah, she's warping reality or maybe an alternate universe situation. Hmm. Hmm. Possible. Oh, maybe she wants like escape to this alternate universe thing. Or she's outside cre- of, trying out- to create one. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. That's yeah. There's a lot of implications there. Like, it could be any of those things. Right. Um, I was just gonna say I would love if they brought back Quicksilver. I think that would be cool. I really like uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson as an <laughs> actor. Yeah. Do, sorry. Do, do Do you think they're finally gonna address them as mutants? Like now that we have Fox, the Fox have rolled in. Like, is that is that something that I don't know? It's weird now because they undid that in the comics, so it's like for for, for those characters specifically. Yeah. Well, right. Like, okay. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm right about that, oh, right, yeah. John? Oh yeah. Yeah. Neither of them are mutants anymore, mm. um, which is why we haven't seen them in anything in like the you know relaunch of X stuff. Right. So like for them to be like, okay, they're mutants, and then they'd have to like re I don't know. It it would be I mean they might, but like <laughs> it's like oh, you have to do a lot of weird comic book backflips to like make it all make sense again. Well, I think that the inclusion of the multiverse concept really makes that a lot easier, at least within the films. It's it's very easy to explain that they didn't know how to identify what it was or maybe her interaction with the multiverse has changed things i've read so many rumors i've read that namor is going to be in uh, hell yeah dr strange i really hope that they bring namor to the table at some point soon like i feel like he's one of the last major major pieces that is just still totally off the board so 
to to bring this conversation full circle, New Mutants, based on what Marco was suggesting, if they were to want to, you know, make that canon or something like that, their playing around with the multiverse could allow for anything like that. The Fox yeah. universe doesn't necessarily have to be swept away. There is a way to make this all kind of you know, fit together. Do I think they're yeah, going to do that? Not necessarily, but it is on the table. They could very, very easily... Uh, honestly, now that I think about it, there's also the potential for that to be the explanation for why Spider-Man exists in the Sony movies, too. Yeah, yep, yep. You know? Where they can just be like, oh, these are just alternate Earths, you mm-hmm. know? And, like, the X-Men stuff is all canon to its own universe. It doesn't affect the MCU at all. But there could be mild crossovers, like maybe maybe Deadpool comes to the MCU, and he remembers all the stuff he remembers from the Fox m- timeline or whatever, and mm-hmm. all that stuff, you know? And, and that's why Spider-Man can go fight Venom, but Venom doesn't show up in the MCU, you know? And they can kind of shuffle the cards however they want based on what's good. Yeah, d- definitely the Deadpool angle is probably like a really cheeky and, and easy way to, to, to address it oh you know big film houses sony uh marvel fox you know how it works and then like boom like no one gives yeah. a shit because we all have a good laugh about it yeah uh I, I mean i'm i'm really jazzed about all of this and i i oh, i just can't express enough how excited i am for this stuff to start with wandavision it's got that that what i guess 70s sitcom vibe i don't know if that's the even right. earlier i feel like because yeah. it was like black and white right yeah. like it almost, it's like 50s it's like leave it to beavery it's, it's 50s yeah. it's inspired yep. by by vision the comic visually so yes. um it's gonna be dreamlike it's gonna be mm-hmm. you know uh oh, man this I is love perfect Lucy kind of shit my yeah right exactly that that's the thing man it's so funny because i remember when we had our big like uh kind of end game cooldown episode and we're talking about like our hype levels going into the next wave and everything like i was ready for a break then and now that we've kind of gotten one the fact that they're like okay cool like this next batch of movies like we're gonna get into like more like kind of you know like celestial stuff and more like multiverse stuff and and all that like that's cool you know and that's something that like we've really only kind of flirted with in the mcu and there's a lot of room to do new interesting shit and um i am getting interested again you know it's like kind of like yeah you know what like i haven't seen a marvel movie in the last three months so maybe i could go for one (laughs) sure uh, all right, and then finally we're going to talk here in the news segment about a little bit of a stumble, I guess you could say, on the part of Kevin Feige in giving people more hope than they should have had. So, uh, at the New York Film Academy, they held a Q&A with Kevin Feige where he was he had his feet to the fire. He was asked about more inclusion of LGBTQ characters and with a point towards trans characters. So he answered the question by referencing Eternals. Uh, He said, yes, 
absolutely yes and very sure very soon in a movie that we're shooting right now now that's in reference to the, the question of will there be trans inclusion so because he said of a movie we're shooting right now i think that that got people into thinking oh that means that it's going to be this next movie Right? That means it's going to be in that movie. In Eternals. In Eternals. And that is not the case. Yeah, that wrapped filming a while ago, didn't it? Uh, I don't believe so. I'm not, no? I'm not. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know that. Um, but the implication for everyone was that the trans character would be in Eternals. That's not the case. Uh, it was said... Uh, Feige said about the character, he's married, he's got a family, and that is just part of who he is. But this pissed off a lot of people. It pissed off a lot of people that we got this answer of, hey, it's going to be coming really soon. It's in a movie that we're shooting. But then it's not in Eternals. I'm very curious as to what you guys have to say about this, but... For me, I'm not a fan of, and hey, he was asked the question, but I'm not a fan of answering questions like that because for no other reason than you shoot yourself in the foot. With Avengers Endgame, it was said, yeah, we've got, you know, our first, uh, you know, LGBT character and it was, you know. One of the Russos playing a dude, you know, in a in a therapy session. Yeah, I had like no problem line. with that scene. You know, I thought it was fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But b- these things are so hyped up, right? And there's so much expectation surrounding them. A lot of that is self-induced by the fans. But Marvel does, you know, they do come out and make these statements, uh, and then people are always left underwhelmed. So, how do you guys feel about Marvel making these statements? How do you feel about the response, the negative response to Kevin Feige's announcement and then having to kind of walk that back a little bit? What do you think? I think it's warranted. Um, I've been critical of Marvel in the past, and I'll actually expand that out to Disney now in general, where I think that Disney is better than any entertainment company at playing both teams and making the one team at least at some points, think that they care more about them, right? And when I say that, I mean like conservatives and liberals because Disney is the only company that will like, you know, um, like 100% caters to, you know, more conservative families and they have always been, oh, we are this very buttoned up company and we have family values and da-da-da-da-da, but then they'll sell pride gear during pride month. And they'll say, oh, we look how inclusionary we are. We have our first LGBT character. Um, and guess what? They have two lines in one scene and they're not relevant at all. And that's not that's not the same thing. You know, that's not that's not representation. That's not what people are asking for. And I agree with you, Sean. There's nothing wrong with that scene. There's nothing wrong with having um some of the representation that you're having just be minor characters, right? Like not every gay or trans or, 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 you know, person of color or anything character needs to be a main character, but you should probably have like one, right? Like in 20 movies, there's not one relevant character who's queer. Like, 
that's a reasonable like pushback, you know. There's and it, and again, it doesn't even have to be a superhero. Like it could be somebody who's a main character that actually has agency in the plot and matters. And I think people would be happy with that. Do they would they still want a, a trans hero or or a gay hero or, or whatever? Like probably. And why not give it to them? But at, in the same breath, like. You can't go and fly like, look how progressive we are. Look how inclusive we are and have every one of the characters that you, you know, um, include at that capacity be somebody that you can edit out when you put the movie in China. Because, like, look at Star Wars. That was something that they're like, oh, we have our first on-screen queer kiss and it's two unnamed women and it's shot totally differently from the rest of that scene so that it can be sliced out when they when they air it overseas or in in countries where it's not cool to be gay. So, yeah, like obviously I I am a fan of Kevin Feige and you know, I I get that he was put on the spot and he answered the way he did, but it's hollow and it's bullshit. You know, and and the fact that like they keep going back to this well of being like, oh yeah, well our first trans character is going to be in this movie. It's like, all right, cool. Do they have more than one line? Are they a main character? Are they an actor in the plot? Because if they're not, you're not you're not answering the question. You're not giving people what they asked for. You're not giving anybody else, you know, the equivalent of of some of something like Black Panther, you know, which is like, oh cool, like this is actually like this is actually what people are looking for when they talk about representation you know is a movie that has an entirely black cast was made by black creators and you know is good and relevant and not something that you can cut around or throw away or pretend doesn't exist if somebody's bothered by it yeah yeah i I think that's a uh that's a good note just in in the sense that you know adding these characters in as minor characters is meaningless and don't really affect anything um but to that i don't think it's up to disney necessarily or even kevin feige to necessarily insert that uh i mean if you don't want to include those characters yes representation matters but it's not mandatory especially for a private company like that um yeah but they're also like they're being like look let, how great let marco are. make his point though sorry because sorry. because like as as much as we would want a, rep- a character represent representing whatever facet that we identify with i think there's more inherent value in something like a black panther where it's deliberate it's uh it's deliberate it's been planned out and i don't think that that is pandering i think including somebody who is a minor character for the sake of it is pandering i don't think that that's worthy of of even trying to do I, it, it feels it feels too it feels like like too little to be fighting for uh so i i don't i don't for me i don't understand why people are, are upset like if they don't want to include a character then they don't want to include this character i would rather them do the due diligence um but at the same time it's not necessary and if there are characters that aren't necessarily being represented um even from the comic book perspective, right? Like, like these characters just aren't that because it's from a different time. These are these are characters who are you know sixty, seventy, whatever years old, and a lot of them, it's not for the times, right? You can't update these characters for those times. You have to make new characters, and and that starts at a different level. Uh, that starts in a different place. It it doesn't it doesn't start in the movies. It starts completely elsewhere. Um, a Miss Marvel is a perfect example of that. 
um, uh, you know, it starts, it starts there. It starts with, with uh, a creator who has an idea, who has a vision, who really wants to tell a story, not tell, who wants to tell a story, not have a character represent a story, right? Like, like Mrs. Marvel was completely authentic because it was just a girl dealing with superpowers. And it so happened that she was Muslim. And that played so well into everything. And I think that is something that's much more deserving of being put on screen currently than anything else. So yes, this was a gaffe on, on his part just because, you know, he opened his mouth. He said, yeah, sure, we're going to do it. Um, and people are upset because it's not what they're looking for. But the people don't know what they're looking for. They don't know what they want necessarily. And you you should give them something that's more organic for them to, to be like, I didn't know I wanted this. The same way I didn't know I wanted a book like Mrs. Marvel um because it, it's that much more powerful when it's something that's organic uh and for kevin feige to, to say we'll include somebody yeah that was a mistake on on his end he could have has easily had said has said no um which again would have been his own controversy but it's a pointed question that's i think unfair and and just to be clear it's it's not that it's not happening. It's just that it's not happening in Eternals. It's we don't know what movie yeah. it is. Yeah, um, and, and so. we don't know to what level. Yeah, that that I think is more unreasonable. Of like, because he says it's happening in a movie we're shooting right now. Okay, cool. So if it comes to pass that one of the movies that we know is coming up has a relevant trans character who's an actor in the plot, what then? Good, great. You got what you wanted. Like, why does it have to be Eternals? Who cares? You know, like yeah, whatever movie gets it right good yeah i'd rather they get it right yeah and that's the whole thing right is like and i do just want to push back on one thing that you said marco which is that um that people don't know what they want i think they do i think i think there are a lot of people that want they want their black panther you know they want a moment where there is that thought put into it and that they assemble creatives that and i don't i don't mean i don't mean to say that you were saying it that way i just want to clarify so that people don't jump on you or some shit you know no, no, no. And, and and to that i, I would clarify that people don't know what they want in that what is a black panther that is a trans character look like right yes yeah exactly yeah just wanted to clarify that yeah, position. Yeah, yeah. that th- that point that marco is making is i f- it's 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 the one that for whatever reason always people don't think about you can't just have the black panther of x it doesn't work like that that's not how this goes ryan coogler is a tremendous director he's a tremendous writer he assembled a tremendous team that doesn't happen all the time there the the reason you can have fifty thousand spider-man movies right but then you get the one black panther is because hollywood right is filled with people who look the same who have the same story to tell who you know come at it from an angle that is very similar because they're white people who have you know, a certain worldview, not a negative worldview, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just that they're coming at it from a specific place. Ryan Coogler was different than that in large part because he's black. He's able to tell that story so well in large part because he's black. If you get a regular old person to take any character, let's say they take uh, uh, Winter Soldier, right? And you just make Winter Soldier gay, right? And then you make that movie... Is that a good movie? I don't know because who's behind it? Who's telling that story? Is that does that story connect with that person or was that a mandate? If it's a mandate, how does that work? 
right? Is that person's heart in it or are they just doing a job? You can't, it's not, it's, it's a very fine line that you have to walk when the weight of this is bigger than just, eh, people didn't really go see it. The weight of this is, wow, so Winter Soldier, the Winter Soldier movie where he's gay sucked. And now all these people who, who wanted this so badly are disappointed. How does that land? We've really never seen that before. Right. Well, and, and I think I – think, uh... Not even to push back, but to build on that, I think the answer, right, is that, and I think why people are pressuring Feige with these kinds of questions is why why aren't they putting efforts to find a Kugler, you know, to find more voices like that and and tell stories that aren't just about white dudes, you know, they um, are in now, for, yeah, <laughs> well, but yeah, but but people, but again, it's like you people just want what they want. It sounds like crying because for. The first five years of the MCU, you had uh, you had uh, Ike Perlmutter who wouldn't even let them put out toys for Black Widow. Right, exactly. And Kevin Feige is the one who fought against this, who wanted to make Black Panther, who wanted to make Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel was supposed to come out a long time ago. Black Widow was supposed to come out a long time. These are, this is not, it's not it's not a question of do they want to. And it never was. It was a question of, hey, you have a douchebag in charge, right, who doesn't want to do this and isn't going to let it happen. And now that that is off them, they have to go through the process of introducing so many things. And it's not just diversity. There's also, hey, story has to be told. You know, you can't just throw things out there. And I think people need to chill out. And maybe someone could say, oh, it's easy for you to say because Black Panther came out. Okay, if Black Panther sucked, that doesn't help me. That hurts yeah, me. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I want that to be a cautious, deliberate decision that comes at the right time with the right team that's assembled because it was time, not because people wanted it and begged. And I sympathize, but let's do it right. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think that's a really good point, Sean, is that like, I think these people's, um, I guess these groups of people's, you know, uh, anger is righteous, you know, and I, I get where it's coming from. Um, and I think, I think in some places, in some cases, and maybe this is one of them, we maybe just need to be patient, you know, because I think you look at the Eternals, the Eternals is like a pretty, I think it's probably the most diverse cast that there's ever been in an MCU movie, you know, um, we're going to get our first uh, Pakistani superhero with Kumail. Uh, Nanjiani. So it's like villain, I believe. Oh, is he a villain? Yeah, pretty okay, sure. Either way, um, that 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 is it, whether it's glacial or not. Like we're moving in a direction where there's going to be more of that, you know. And I think that's that's ultimately a good thing. And I think it's so funny. Uh, you said the word glacial, and I think a lot of people uh, see it that way, right? But when you think about it, how long has the MCU even existed, right? Yeah, um, ten years. Ten yeah. years. Yep. And in 10 years, you know, we have had Black Panther. And for me, as someone who really didn't have, like, how many black characters can you think of off the top of your head who were heroes in movies that were blockbusters that were actually, that actually showcased that hero's uh, ethnic background properly, right? You can't really, there's, there are none. So if it only took the MCU 10 years to do that, and it took Hollywood 
a hundred years. All of the years before Black Panther. Yeah. <laughs> or, I mean, not even because what is it? The what's that? The one movie, the Green Book came out. Like I, I, I would say that is is, is that not it? What movie? The, the Green Book is that not it? No, what is it? The the I'm one with reading. um, uh, ugh, Hersha Lee and um. Oh yeah, 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 okay. I'm vague. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember this movie. Uh, it with like Vito Morganson, the White Savior shit. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Where it was like um, like what, 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 what? Like a reverse driving Miss Daisy kind of situation, yeah, yeah, right? Like where Vito what, Morganson's his driver or whatever. Right, like where where the. Where what what MCU has done in ten years compared to what Hollywood is continuing to do in the past hundred years is I think a testament to that. Yeah. To for sure. to to Sean's point. And I and I guess to build on Sean's point, right, is I think that like um as much as we have criticized Kevin Feige for how he answered the question, he's probably he's not the guy to attack. Like he is, I think, a good dude who's trying to push hollywood forward at least on some level right like i don't know him as a personal guy but yeah, within the like control he, he championed black panther right right so like how many other voices in hollywood are doing that he put himself on the line for those movies he was gonna leave and this is a story like if you spent you know two seconds reading about these things you would know this and it's like, yeah, you know, rah-rah, but also know the person that you're referring to. He was going to leave because he couldn't handle the fact that he was so handcuffed in terms of the movies he was allowed to make. And we see the movies he's made now that he doesn't have those handcuffs. And, that I'm, you know, I'm not saying that you can't criticize him if another 10 years go by and we don't see, you know, yeah, more yeah. Of, of, of what we're asking for. But I just think patience, and that's all. I mean, think about how recent Black Panther was, too. Yeah, you know, it's like two, it's like two years ago. Yeah, yeah. So it's like movies don't move that fast either. You know, like think about that. Like in two years, like Black Panther happened, and now we're we're gonna have uh, Eternals, and Shang Chi is gonna have a movie with you know a person of color as the main character. Like we're we're it's getting better. You know, and it might have taken us a while to get here, but like you know, let's see where we are in another ten years. Captain Marvel, right? Yeah, fucking A, right? They finally got a female-led movie, like, yeah, this long after the fact. And how crazy is that? You know, like, fucking A, man. Like, 50% of the people in the world are women. And, oh, I don't know about that, though. I don't know. You know? Like, come on. Like, Jesus Christ. And But we're getting there. Little so, by little. <laughs> that is something that we're going to have to watch for in the future. And, of course, you know, anytime that these conversations come up, we're going to have them here on the Comics Pals. Another conversation we're going to have on the Comics Pals here in just a moment is our review of Marauders number five. Oh, snap. All right. So we're talking Marauders yet again. Uh, so right out the gate, I think that this issue changes things for the better. Yes. Do you all agree with that? I do agree with that. What, what do you mean for the better? So uh, with issue four and even, you know, issue three, kind of issue two, ever since the first one, we've been saying it was lacking some of the charm that uh, we had enjoyed in the first one and it was lacking direction. And I really feel like with this one, uh, uh, Jerry Duggan um, and teaming again with Matteo Lolly, they really sort of found a good place with this series. Yeah. I feel like it finally has 
I feel like it's finally moving somewhere. Like all the pieces are on the board, and I feel like this issue very much puts us in a place where you're like, okay, cool. Like there were stakes in this issue, and the issue left us on a cliffhanger where you can see like, oh, this like this is moving in a direction that's interesting and actually addressing the things that we thought this book was going to be about. Yeah. Did you disagree with that, Marco? Um. Uh, I guess I, I guess I'm so confused as to like. Like what? What it's all leading to? Like I think for the for the issue, the story made sense, and you know what the the ramifications, at least in terms of the for Shaw might be. But um, I, I I don't know. I I I personally still think it feels a little like I don't really know where it's heading. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into it. Um, with this one, we see uh, some more interaction between Kitty and Emma, or I'm sorry, Kate and Emma. Call, call her Kate. Sean. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> uh, which I really liked. I thought that their their conversations were really good. Them kind of, you know, um, messing with the Shaws was fun, uh, and uh, finally, Kate knows Krakoan. Or she's learning it anyway. I guess she's yeah she's learning it. Um, uh, so that's cool. I, I enjoyed that. Weirdly, uh, Kate says sometimes I still wonder how my life would have turned out if I had picked you instead of the professor. Um, I don't feel like Kate would question that. that. Yeah. yeah, Emma Frost was a you know an ass. Then. Then now forever. Right. Yeah. The WWE model and Emma Frost. Oh wait, what was that alluding? <laughs> what was that alluding to? I thought that was like one of the X Men, like Chris Claremont X Men's, where like back in the day she could have escaped to go to the Brotherhood and stuff. That's what. That's what. Yeah, that oh, is, is, that, the is that the implication? Sean oh, okay, was saying okay. that he doesn't believe that Kate would feel that way. Oh, oh, oh I see. I that she would even question it. Like yeah. at this point. Yeah, I said whatever. Yeah. Really, like you know, she's she, at that point. Yeah, maybe you know, she's a younger kid. She's confused. I, I could see all that, but as an adult, I really don't see how you could not understand why that would be silly. Mm. Particularly like knowing how everything ended up, right? Like we're yeah. all on the same side anyway. Like, yeah. you know, like how many meaningful relationships have you developed because of your time as an as a student at, at the institute? Although I will say I did love Emma's response, which was, besides, I was barely a woman myself and would have utterly destroyed you. I did like that. Yeah, that yeah. was good. Yeah, so, all right. Emma is just a, a, a effortlessly cool and fun character when mm-hmm. she, like, does shit like that, you mm-hmm. know? Like, she's so fun when she's just, like, carrying a drink around, posturing. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and you can tell that Jerry Duggan is having a blast writing her. For sure, mm-hmm. yeah. I, th- I think she's been one of the most consistent characters in a lot of these books. Or like everybody kind of kind of has like a really good grasp of what she is, where her what her angles usually are, what um, her voice is exactly. For sure. Yeah, yeah, and then and then you know, speaking to the quality of this book and kind of why I enjoyed this issue so much is because you do get all of the characters that we're here for, right? So we're here for Emma Frost, but we're also here for Kate. I'm here for, I, I, you know, hopefully everyone else is here for Storm and Bishop. I'm loving what they've been up to. Um, and we get all of that, you know, we get all these characters. This issue has the, you know, sort of the, the, the drama that you expected that we came here for with the Hellfire Club, but it also has 
the heroes rescuing mutants, which is is something that we want to see as well. And we've seen it in other in other issues, but here it actually felt like it like it mattered because now they're in you know mad rapport. I, I think they were, and you know there's 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 like it's, it's really serious, and you know these villains have these um these uh, anti-mutant uh, depowering suits that they're wearing that even though Storm and Bishop handle the issue, handle the problem with no issue, it's still like, oh man, you know, this is, this could be dire. Especially when you, with the context of the fact that we're not sure if resurrection works for Kate, for Kate, like that, yeah. that gives every serious, um, like military interaction that they go into, like very, very, like there's there's tension, you know, because she doesn't know if she'll live. None of them know if she'll live, and that gives those those moments stakes in a way that none of the other X books actually have, because none of those characters are they're all immortal. I I do like that wrinkle, but they didn't threaten her here. Yeah, right. I I just I like that they established that in this issue, like that was Bobby's motivation for staying with the crew, you know, and that like that's why Storm and Iceman are even out there. You know, is that like they care about Kate? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which uh, I think will become more and more important too, as the kind of like the whole Hellfire Club of it all continues to go. Because obviously Emma has her own agenda, and I think at some point there's probably going to be a divergence between her and Kate. And Bishop and Iceman and Storm are going to be, and Pyro to a lesser extent, are going to be like probably really really vital to her survival yeah those relationships so i i I think this issue did have more groundwork but it also felt like it had some meat and like i don't think it was a great issue but i think it was the first good really good one since one yeah for sure because i liked two more than you guys but it was still like a little bit mm. so what do you go ahead marco I was just gonna say I uh, I don't know I I've been very lukewarm on this this uh this book it's it's, it's fine no, no, nothing's pulling me in nothing's really pushing me out I don't know I'm just I feel like a very mixed bag on it hmm. yeah I think that's overall how I felt after coming down from how much I liked the first issue you know and I think this is the first one that made me feel like that time was spent actually doing something because now like all those threads that we laid in two three and four are like kind of starting to come to roost you know um which is cool you know because i we have a lot of issues left there's still a lot of places for this to go and if they need to spend some time establishing the new status quo i can accept that if it pays off what do you guys make of uh i assume it said hominis verendi yeah, hominis verendi was how I was reading it. Yeah, fearful, what do you guys make of them? These these kids people. who are they have their own like Hellfire Club. I don't really know yet. Um, they're interesting to me because I I imagine that they have some, they have to have some broader connection to other characters and and whatever. But it, it, it still feels like a big question mark for me. I remember. A long time ago, maybe I could be misremembering, but I'm pretty confident that I've seen these kids before. Um, and I don't remember the way that they got introduced, but I never cared for this, if I'm remembering accurately. And 
it's another one of those like so in, in X Men they were fighting the geriatrics, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. That was good. Oh god, I don't know if I care about the X Men fighting against children because they it shouldn't they shouldn't really be that big of a threat. Um, not to say like they're obviously geniuses; they obviously have a lot of money and stuff like that. But I just don't know if their characters are compelling. And then I also feel like every villain now just has every human villain just has the ability to depower mutants. Yeah, yeah, that that to me was the was one of the biggest my biggest issues was just like they come in the ship. What are you going to do about the power dampening thing? I was like, oh, all right, again, uh, yeah, and yeah. Then, and then the kids popped out, and it's like, oh, we're behind. So I'm like, uh, all right, I I, ro- I I think my thing was I rolled my eyes a lot of, at, at this issue. Mm. They're just like, all right, this is very superhero-y. I think it's it's tough because they've kind of backed themselves in a corner now with the whole like no, all the mutants are immortal. So like, how do you raise stakes if they they're all more powerful than every human that they fight that isn't a superhero? But you don't want to make them fight superheroes because you know you probably are saving that for some, at some point. And so what happens? They have to fight a bunch of regular people who just have technology and how can they possibly stand up to the mutants unless they have some kind of power dampening tech? You know, but like everybody has it now. And like, I guess you could also argue that it makes sense that every nation would be working on developing it because now Krakoa sure. is a threat. Yeah. Um, They've been a threat so, for a month. Yeah. A whole right. month. And that's the thing is like that it's, it's like you can try to explain it away, but you're still doing mental gymnastics. Like it, it is like, why is this a thing all of a sudden? And why is this what everybody's solution is? You know? Um, and I don't know, maybe there's a broader answer to that that we just don't know yet. That's also possible. But right now, I'm kind of feeling the same way as you guys are, where it's just kind of like, all right, I guess, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I enjoyed this issue. I, I'm, I, There are characters that you only get to see here, and I really appreciate the moments that we get to spend with them. Despite, you know, what I think are some very evident and obvious flaws uh, with the storytelling here, but also broadly, more broadly, the fact that these issues kind of have to wait to get to the next checkpoint that is obviously going to come whenever we get our next event or the next major thing happens within the X world. So they're in a weird spot. I, I, I want to talk about the art. I really... Uh, enjoyed the art here. I think Matteo Lali uh, did a very good job. Um, I like the colors; they, they're a little a little interesting sometimes. For Frederico Blee, uh, sometimes the colors were were kind of weird, but um, for the most part, I really enjoyed the issue from a visual perspective. But again, with this book, nothing nothing too dynamic. The panel layouts are very very simplistic. You can get away with that. I like that there there are less panels on on each page, but it lets the figures kind of uh, be a little bigger. So like Bishop looks like a big dude because yeah. the panels are so long. Dude, that shot of him like talking to the kid, I was like, Jesus, he's a mountain of a man. Right, right, <laughs> and that is that is an effective technique. I'm sure that's a deliberate choice. Uh, so I really like that as well. 
Um, the coloring of the black characters was better. Remember, there was that issue that people had. Um, they actually look black, so that's a, that's you know that's a step up. <laughs> uh, yeah, overall, it's 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 very very serviceable, but it doesn't stand out, which is kind of what we're saying about this issue. Yeah, I think serviceable is the right word for it. Unfortunately, because um, I don't. Again, I don't think anything's bad. I think the models in general, like I like the character designs. Like I like, I like the way the book looks. I just don't think that there are many moments that feel like stand out. Like when I'm thinking back on the issue, the scene that sticks in my mind the most is the red keep, and that's like one yeah, panel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or like the Emma Frost interaction is I think the the biggest thing that stuck with me. Everything mm-hmm. else out of it was just kind of like, right. It's like okay. Can I and just it's, go ahead? Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say I, I just want to quickly point out two ridiculous things that I you know want to see if you guys notice. Why does Kate have a barrel full of swords? <laughs> She's she? a pirate, Sean. <laughs> she yeah, she totally does. There's a barrel full of swords in her room. There's like a lot of like random treasure and swag that it looks like she's just like taking. <laughs> she's really embracing the lifestyle. Yeah, and I'm about it. Like she's like, yeah, dude, I got a thing full of swords. I'm drinking rum in every other shot. Like <laughs> she's a bad bitch. It's great. <laughs> and then the other random thing that I noticed is that of the characters who are on the Marauder ship. Pyro is the only one who has never changed his clothes. Like he's always just in his Pyro his outfit. <laughs> Which there's probably a practical reason for because he needs he needs the, the the ability to generate fire. He can't yeah. generate it himself. Um, but it's just funny that he's literally always wearing it. It's yeah. To to that point, it's probably like whenever they're actually doing a mission, he needs to be ready to fight at any moment. So if he doesn't have his suit on, like he's inert, and you have to go get dressed. You know. Even in the issue though, where they resurrect Shinobi Shaw, I'm pretty sure he's wearing it there. So it's like this dude just doesn't change. It's like, does he have plain clothes? Like, no, he's a dirty bastard. I love it. Or he's like a cartoon character, and he has a closet full of them. The same, yeah. 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 It's like Monday. Yep. Steve Jobs did it, man. You know, turtleneck every day. Dressing for success. There you go. Empire's a successful man. Look at that face. There you go. His blackened face. Um, <laughs> His fucking face tattoo. Charred up, yeah. I forgot I forgot that happened for a second, and I was like, what the, what's up with this? Oh, that's right. <laughs> it's like, right, he got a face tattoo that's right. in Tokyo and like, or wherever they were. That hasn't made any sense yet. I'm like, nah. Oh, it never will. It's just, hot, it? just He's just a goofball. No. Yeah, he's like a fucking nut job. I feel no. like he's just like, oh yeah, we're getting tattoos. I'll get a skull on my face. Why does anyone do that? It's gonna be so painful for him when Marvel decides he can't have that anymore, and he has to like get it lasered off. <laughs> That's gonna suck. Well, I was thinking the easier solution he could just kill himself, and then when they bring him back, he'd have a fresh face. <laughs> You know what? I think that's more likely. He'll probably just die. He'll just yeah, die. Dude, that's yeah. easier and less painful. It would be. Literally. Like, that's the most ridiculous part about it. Gotta love it. All right. So that's going to do it for our convo on Marauders number five. I'm still on board with this series for sure. Yeah, for sure. Looking uh, forward to number six. Yeah. So um, I'm enjoying it. And uh, yeah, let's talk about X-Men 4. What'd you guys think about this issue? I loved this issue. Yes, I thought this was really good. This was the and you mentioned this 
a week or two ago. This is like the political intrigue of House and Powers that I've really been missing mm-hmm. since we moved to the monthly or, you know, whatever schedule we're on with these books. They're every every week. <laughs> um, because, I mean, and we've known this was coming, right? Like, this is one of those teaser images where we're like, I can't wait to see the three of them roll up in suits and talk to everybody. Yeah. So, like, I was hyped going into it. I, I ended that issue, and I remember saying, I said to myself, I was like, that was a fantastic issue. I think that was the best issue of any of the post House Powers books for my money. Mm-hmm. Um, I like. I don't know. Like, it's just awesome. Like, it's so cool that the most compelling book is like a bunch of people sitting at a table. Yeah. 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 You know. S- sim- um, go ahead, Mark. Sorry. S- similarly, uh, I the political stuff and like the the larger world building aspects are definitely the stuff that I was really hungry for. So yeah, to see this, this is exactly what I want. Like I, I want to, I want to understand now that this nation is here. What does that mean for the rest of the world? How do you interact with that? Because, because those are the, those are the, the bits that I've always been interested about X Men. Uh, is like how, how do you live in a society as a different person? And like this is how you interact with that. Yeah, and right, like, and then now, like the whole thing of like, well, what happens now that we're a nation? We're not. Uh, we're not um, fugitives living in other countries, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that look like? What does that mean? And that's what's so interesting about what House and Power set up. And it feels like, not that the other books have been ignoring that, but I feel like we've been really slowly building to it. Um, particularly with Marauders has, like, dealt with that, you know? Um, like, in the last issue, even, like, they said, like, more and more countries are are declaring themselves as enemies rather than, you know, partners or whatever. Um, and that's in a month. So that's, that's interesting. But this was like the first time where it was like, okay, cool. We're going to go be players on the world stage. And what does that look like? And you know, what, what are, what do, how do the humans try to interact with them? You know? And of course it's with fear. It's with suspicion. It was underhanded. It was all these things that they knew that they would do and they were ready for it. And they like, literally this whole issue is basically like the three of them walk in. Apocalypse scares the shit out of everybody, and then Magneto and Professor X drop their dick on the table and are like, your move. And, like, yeah. that's awesome. That is so cool because I love – I think Magneto bo- – both Magneto and, and Charles have fantastic lines in this. But Magneto's thing where he's like, you know, the old me would have stolen all your weapons of mass destruction and turned them on you to show you how powerful I was, how powerful I am. And, he, and he's like, now I don't need to. You know, and I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, you don't, Magneto. That's awesome. That And that whole turn for Magneto in this has been one of my favorite things. How his character has developed and not even just developed, but evolved. You know, that like his goals are still the same. His ends are still the same. But he's like, he, he now instead of trying to, you know, muscle people, he's like, I'm going to beat you at your own game. And we're going to do it better because we are better. We're smarter. We're stronger. We're, you know. We're, we're we are you are obsolete because of us and Hell we don't yeah. need to fight you we don't need to go to war you can't touch us and if you try we'll end you and it's like damn that's the wow. radical the radical race war shit that i'm about <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what i'm saying man though the whole thing right is like they say it's like we offered you peace and you met it with suspicion we offered you life-saving drugs and you are worried about how it's going to upend your economies like guess what we don't care adapt or get out of the way 
Yeah, and I appreciate the hard line that the mutants are driving because it's necessary, you know, and and we are obviously going to side with the mutants because they're the main characters and they're who we are, you know, connected to. But you understand, I think, inherently the fear that the humans have. I think it's it's easy to connect with the idea that you might become unnecessary or obsolete or whatever. And this is on a, a scale of not like at your job where maybe they hire someone who has the same skills as you. This is literally like not every mutant is better than every human, right? Like the mutant race is just superior in the sense that they can do more and, and it, it just changes things to such a high degree. How does how do humans deal with this? And so I appreciated that this issue gives us that perspective. Uh, and we get to see a, a reasonable conversation. You know, this easily could have been a conversation where the humans are all saying, nah, screw you guys. We hate mutants, you know, whatever. And that's not the case. Obviously, there is this side story of... Um, one of the members of this council having assassins come to try to murder the mutants and Cyclops and um, and uh, why am I blanking on his name right now? Oh, um, Cyclops and fuck, what's his name? I got Gorgon. it. Cy- Cyclops and Gorgon. 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 Yeah, I knew yeah. it was a G. Uh, Cyclops and Gorgon have to you know deal with these dudes. <laughs> Gorgon slices off like ninety guys' arms. Oh, that was the <laughs> that was best. insane. <laughs> but like, but like, like, like that's that is the kind of shit that the humans are afraid of. But at the same time, is the shit that it's, it's what you it's what you said, Sean. Right? They had to set a hard line, and the hard line was like, "Yo, we're not gonna kill you. I can't say anything else about like what the fuck we're gonna do to you." But right, like well, we but have they even to say they're yeah. like. We made it a law that we won't kill humans, and you still don't trust us. You're right. still trying to attack us and assassinate us. So, yeah. <laughs> and they still didn't kill him. And Gorgon, and Gorgon's like, like, see, I didn't kill him. They're maimed. They they won't have normal lives. But shit, I didn't kill him. Well, that that's how they learned their lesson, though, right? That's what he says. He's like, it's better for you to learn what you are than for me to kill you. Yeah, they have yeah. to pay the price. If this isn't, you know, this isn't any longer mutants living. And on human land, right? They're not even on human land. They're on mutant land. Not in this issue, but in general. That's where they live. And they don't need to be beholden to mutant, to human laws or even to human whims. <laughs> you know, like they just don't have to. And I appreciate that Jonathan Hickman is showing us this side of it and establishing what the stakes are for both sides because if you if you relate this issue back over to house and powers and you look at how bad things can get we understand that the humans don't just lose for free we see that when they go to war the humans actually have a lot up their sleeve and magneto apocalypse and uh, Professor Xavier are aware of this. So all this posturing is well and good, but I don't believe necessarily that, that at least Magneto and Professor X don't have it in the back of their mind. Like, if things do go bad, we've seen that future. Yeah, right. So I yeah, love I, that that's playing in the undercurrent of all this. And I think that plays into how Charles handles this situation too. Because I thought that was amazing, how yeah. he takes off his helmet. For the first time. And for the first time. 
And it's the Charles that we remember, right? Where he's like, I haven't given up on you. I still love, I have love for humanity. I want to live in peace. But if you won't let us, there will be a response. And that's it. Helmet on, bye. And like, yeah, like you're totally right. And the the point you made, like they've drawn a line in in the sand and it's not ridiculous or extreme. It's respect our sovereignty, adapt to the fact that we are part of the world community and leave us alone, you know, and like, or, or, or leave us alone rather, you know, like you, you can't have it both ways. You are not, we will not be bullied anymore. We will not be told what we have to do. Your laws don't apply to us. And we're more than willing to play ball with you, but you got to meet us in the middle. And if you don't, then fuck you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know yeah. we we've we have endured enough indignities at the hands of humans to to have learned better. You know, hell yeah, Pete. That's the kind of fire we need right now. It's son. good shit, man. It's yeah, so dude. good. It's uh, so good. Excellent. Like that whole the tension in that scene is fucking palpable, man. Ah. Uh. And, and and I don't know if we're going into the art, but I did just want to comment all of the this entire issue is all nine panels, and I loved how effectively that worked. For the for like for for the action for the delivery of the message like for Marauders we said you know it was simplistic paneling whatever whatever but but this was very deliberate it was very organized we they they were really trying to get a message across and I think the using the nine panels uh, was really effective to tell the story but to get that message across because you could really focus on those interactions especially it, it, it was just conversation but like you can really focus on on get those reactions those facial shots and I think uh, the art is amazing for that yeah when they break that convention it's more powerful like that scene where magneto gives his speech and then he's like by the way this is really delicious like was just like oh my god what a well-crafted moment it is delicious this whole issue is delicious yeah i was sitting there i was eating the shit up like please give me 10 more issues of this (laughs) yeah um at first when i read this issue I was annoyed that there was this guy who set up this assassination attempt because I really wanted this to just kind of be like what like I, I really wanted this to be a, a discourse that doesn't involve you know some murder plot or anything like that because I don't like the idea that there are no humans that are good. I understand being fearful. But that doesn't necessarily mean you go down the murder route. Um, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think what my my interpretation of how it was handled, especially given the context of what Magneto says about Western culture and about people in power, is that he's like, oh, well, that wasn't us. It was the bad humans, they always say. I don't think that they're saying that all humans are bad. I think they're saying that human leadership is bad, that the machines that we have, de- the you know, the political machines that we've built are bad. The institutions of humanity are bad. And I would agree with that in general. You know, most governments are not good. You well, know, they do bad things to people all the time. Be that as it may, if you sat in a room with American, with all, not even all, but like, a certain amount of American or world politicians, they're not all there to kill you, right? No. So um, I wished that this conversation could have taken place without that. But when I considered more why that choice may have been made, it's like, okay, well, A, this is one of the guys 
is one of those individuals, yeah, not the whole sure. crew. Yeah, exactly. They didn't know about it, so that's fine. And then also, we know already how fearful humans are of the mutants, and we saw when they had built the mother mold, right? That was a preempt. That was preemptive. That thing already existed, right? Before like the Krakoa thing really took off. That was already in play, so this is how fearful they have always been of mutants. So if there's an opportunity to take them out right now, I I can I can understand why that choice may be made. So once I rationalized it and, and ruminated on it a little more, it was fine for me. Um, so so yeah, I feel like the conversation Magneto has with the Wakandan delicate kind of balances that pretty well yes yeah like he he's like we it would be duplicitous of us to fucking say that all our countries don't do the same shit right you know yeah i thought it was a, overall a well-balanced conversation and I'm, I'm i don't expect to see much more uh discourse like this within these books but i'm really really glad we got this issue i agree i th- I, I think i will look back on this as my favorite issue of the run yeah, the characterizations are perfect, yeah. um, and uh, mm-hmm. there's just so much to mine here. I, it's weird because X Men is supposed to be like the Cyclops at plus X book, but he's so far from center stage here. I would like to see this book find an exact trajectory. Right now, it has no trajectory. It's just kind of whatever Jonathan Hickman needs it to be. And that hasn't always worked in its favor. Like, the last couple of issues have been a little off. It feels like an anthology almost. Yes, it, it, it does. And that's odd. But I'm still trusting in Hickman to deliver. I would love it if they were just like, okay, you know what? We have we have heard your feedback, Comics Pals. We are The book no longer <laughs> focuses on Cyclops. It is just Professor X, Magneto, and Apocalypse in suits talking sure. to people. Sure. I'd want that, that, <laughs> just that's that, that's interesting because I I actually like the the anthology feel of it I I like that like last issue we didn't necessarily get the same sort of group we we got a whole totally different story like I I enjoyed it because to me this the X Men book feels like it's more so building a world than it is focusing on individual characters like that feels too small this feels much more of a larger scale I think that's what they're getting at that's why like. One of the previous issues was about the entire uh, Cyclops family. It was... Yeah, it just feels like it's about mutants. Right, exactly. And I, and I, I, I like that. There's value to that, I think. I yeah. agree with Sean that I don't think it's been executed well uh, across the board. Um, and I, I would like there to be more consistency from issue to issue. I don't think it needs to be consistent in like format or cast ne- necessarily, but in quality. Because you compare this issue to the issue that Sean has taken the most issue with, like where Cyclops and his two kids that he doesn't have a relationship with go and fight geriatrics. It's kind of like, okay, like that feels like comic booky monster of the week shit. And this feels like what house and powers were, you know? And I want more books that feel like this, where it's like, Oh cool. This has big ramifications. You know, Um, this is about mutant politics. This is about Krakoa's place in the world community like i would love it if the book focused more on that issue to issue 
Yeah, and and also the book can still be. We've all read anthologies that have a through line, right? Like the book can still be an anthology while having a consistent message or idea that it's centralized around. And so far, it doesn't have that. Even a theme, like <laughs> if you just... look at where, like issue one, was establishing uh, the relationships between, like, how do the mutants live now? You know, what are their living quarters? Blah blah blah. You know, it's shifted around so many times. I was just like something consistent, a consistent narrative. But at any rate, we enjoyed this issue. And I think with X-Men, we really do have to take it issue by issue because we don't know where things are ultimately going to go and and shift around. But um, uh, I I don't want to end this without talking at all. I mean, Marco brought up uh, the panel layouts, which I agreed with you. I thought they were really good. Lanil Yu isn't given a lot to do here but one of his strengths in my opinion is conveying emotion through the face and yes. so talky issues are real strong are real strong for him I've always felt and because of that I think this issue looks great and I think that whether intentional or otherwise this issue plays well to the strengths that you does have yeah I totally to me like I think there there's a tendency a lot of times for people, uh, comics readers anyway, right, to get bored with issues that are just people talking. And I'm not one of those people. You know, like, I'm a Robert Kirkman fan, so, like, set up and nine panel grids of motherfuckers standing around and talking is, like, that's my shit. So, like, to me, that that kind of issue is only boring if it's bad. Right, the script here is great. The art here is great. This is the most compelling. This is way more interesting to me than watching them go fight something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think in in the execution specifically, it's is what makes it so so strong. Like, I'm not familiar with use art outside of this normally, but I think what what he's able to do is he's able to catch really good uh good moments. Like you could make you can have this issue do the same thing by just having faces and talking heads but they're the small things that he does magneto picks up a fork one of the women picks up a a, a, a glass of wine and is drinking you know you the the wakandan delegate has you know he's 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 brooding he has his fist up he has like his fist up uh in a different way like there's there's so many ways that you can execute talking and i think he does it excellently like or like that shot with apocalypse right where he like says call me apocalypse and it's him and then it's the other guy like in the foreground you know so it's like yeah showing how big he is and and imposing like there's so many little moments like that that sell it you know they sell the emotion the tension in the room and like why this is a compelling narrative yeah he he, he he's not fully in frame he like it passes the border yeah. and he's just like, like i'm apocalypse my name uh my other names are not fit for you to utter and he's just like oh word cool i get it and i can see it welcome anyway yeah <laughs> yeah like a plus across the board on this one i gotta say i don't think there's a thing wrong with this issue really don't. So that's gonna do it for our review of x-men 5 or i'm sorry x-men 4 uh if you guys are still on the x train we definitely want to hear from you what your thoughts are on these books which one are you enjoying the most is Fallen Angels your least favorite title? Like, pretty much everyone else but me. Um, <laughs> Which is your least favorite? Uh, this is tough because I, at this current moment, genuinely enjoy them all. 
if I had to choose a least favorite just going off of like what happened the last issue, um, I would probably have to say X-Force. Um, but again, I think they're all pretty good. So uh, let us know your thoughts. Write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up on all podcast hosting platforms. If we're not there, at Mr. Marco Animoto. And while you're there, you can leave us a review, uh, whatever you think is appropriate. We prefer five-star ratings or whatever is for that platform. And you can leave us a comment there as well. We will respond to those or read them always on the air. If you're on YouTube right now and you're watching this, thank you very much. Make sure to subscribe, hit the notification bell, like, comment, all that good stuff. It helps us out a lot and uh, costs you nothing. So no real reason not to do it, right? Uh, Let's do some plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come chat with me about uh, whatever's on your mind in this uh, this 2020 season while we're all on the New Year kick. Um, <clears throat> if you want to get more content from me, you can head over to LootPots.com where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, as well as a Patreon-exclusive show, After Dark. Uh, if you want to connect with Kale, he's at Toto and Toe on Twitter and Instagram. You can find his work at KaleWard.com, including his podcast that he does with his wife, Gone Global. Uh, go check that out. Phil is at CyborgBebop on Twitter and Instagram. I don't know why you'd want to follow him. <laughs> Before Marco goes, I also just want to throw out our Star Wars review for The Rise of Skywalker. It's up. It's currently out. And uh, if you guys have checked out that movie, you're definitely going to want to hear our conversation about it. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people have thrown their hat in the ring in the discourse with that film. But uh, I thought we had some pretty interesting takes. So worth your time. Marco? You can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, come talk to me about... What am I What am I reading? Oh, I'm reading Ice Cream Man. I'm almost done with that. Um, uh, Martin Marazzo is on art for that, and it is excellent. And I'm also reading Sugar, which happens to be another Matt Hawkins book. It is actually a companion to Sunstone and Swing, so I think you can uh, imagine what that's about. So but it's saucy. It's very saucy. Uh, it's about a couple who embarks on a relationship that starts as more of an arrangement and ends with them falling in love. So my kind of shit, uh, especially the sauciness. So come talk to me about those things. You didn't need to clarify. We know, buddy. <laughs> I'm a romantic. <laughs> yeah, you're also a little pervert. <laughs> uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Don't know if you guys knew this, but 2020 is actually the year of the Phoenix. So, uh, in celebration, I am accepting all Jean Grey tributes, any art, anything you want to share with me, I would appreciate very much. So, at Sean Soapbox to share those things with me. And with that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Is it Phoenix? Because we're all going to die in nuclear flame? Probably. We won't. Uh, will we, though? That's the, Well, maybe as mutants. Oh! oh.